From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Welcome. Permission to come aboard granted. Come on in, take off your skin and rattle around in your bones. Wherever you are, my wish for you is that you're safe and warm and well-fed. Uh, Crimea has voted overwhelmingly to throw their lot in with Russia. Of course, the pundits and uh, talking heads with the mainstream media have immediately declared the vote on secession to be illegal. And, of course, the United States says they've recognized the vote. Canada, in lockstep, have echoed that. And i got to tell you, I'm really tired of Canada and uh, uh, the United States, a country I love and hold dear to my heart. I'm tired of Canada and the U.S. being on the wrong side increasingly of late. Uh, first of all, I'd like to know why was it legal for Kosovo to vote to, succeed, to uh, secede from Serbia in 2008, a vote that was recognized by the U.S. and the International Court of Justice, but it's not okay for Crimea, a country that essentially, um, a region rather, essentially, that was given to, given to Ukraine by Khrushchev in 1954. So a very short history, the connection between Ukraine and Crimea. Crimea. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why it's not okay for Crimea. And while I'm no huge uh, supporter of Vladimir Putin, Russians are freer today than they've been in 400 years. And the situation in Ukraine and Crimea has nothing to do with violating international law. It has everything to do with the U.S. and its NATO allies wanting to further isolate and marginalize Russia and ultimately to put nuclear missiles in Ukraine. If they can fence Russia in, get them on the ropes, back on their heels, then they can run rampant wherever they want. Regime change in Syria, they won't have Russia to contend with. And of course, once they isolate Russia, China will be next. And again, no fan of the Chinese regime. However, we need checks and balances to prevent some of the misadventures that we've been seeing lately. The other odious aspect here, the United States and Canada and its NATO allies are supporting a neo-Nazi coup in Ukraine. One of the leaders of that uh, coup, Dmitry Yarosh, is an avowed anti-Semite with the stated goal, and he has said this, of killing as many Russians and Jews as he can. The right sector, or Pravi sector, Svoboda and the Fatherland Party, elements of the Fatherland Party, they're dangerous, unsavory characters, and we should be ashamed of ourselves for getting behind this group. But the U.S. and NATO are becoming increasingly uh, more brazen and rather clumsy and less sophisticated, really, in their tactics. This was a muscle play, pure and simple. And the mainstream media has made no mention of the neo-Nazis involved in the Ukraine coup. To my mind, that was illegal. Those in power were largely responsible. They were the ones responsible for setting Ukraine riot police on fire. They were involved in the sniper attacks. And... If ousted Ukraine President Yanukovych can be blamed for anything, it would be showing too much restraint. Can you imagine if during the G20 summit that took place here in Toronto a few years back, if Toronto police officers were set on fire by protesters, if protesters violently took over government buildings, do you think they'd show restraint? The mainstream media has it all wrong on this story. And it should be increasingly obvious to any observer that they are complicit in this. This is no game. We are on the tipping point. Do you think it's wise to poke the bear, to provoke the bear? I would advise against it. 
Okay, there, I've said my piece. Uh, the other important story, which is shaping up, quite frankly, to be one of the most incredible mysteries of this young 21st century, is the disappearance of Malaysian flight number 370, MH370. And it has been uh, over a week since the Boeing 777 and its 239 passengers and crew disappeared from radar in a flight from Kuala Lumpur en route to Beijing. And this is really my first opportunity to talk about it. Malaysian authorities are now seeking diplomatic permission to investigate a theory that the Boeing 777 may have been flown under the radar to Taliban-controlled bases on the border of Afghanistan and northwest Pakistan. This is what the Independent uh, newspaper in England has, has learned. The latest revelation came as it was revealed that 25 countries are assisting in the search for the plane, intensifying challenges of coordinating ground, sea, and aerial efforts. Countries known to be involved include Uzbekistan, Pakistan, Kyrgyzstan, Burma, Laos, Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia, and Australia, with special assistance regarding satellite data requested from the U.S., China, and France. On Sunday, Malaysian officials examined a sophisticated flight simulator belonging to the chief pilot of the missing jet, after experts said only a trained person could have turned off the plane's communication equipment and flown it off course without being detected. Working on the theory that the plane was intentionally flown off course, Police have delved into the backgrounds of Captain Zahari Ahmed Shah, 53, and 27-year-old co-pilot Farik Abdul Hamid. Their homes were searched on Saturday, and on Sunday, experts examined the simulator Mr. Shah kept in his home, which he had built himself. Officials said they believed the plane's communication systems were intentionally switched off by one of the 239 passengers and crew on board MH370. On Sunday, they revealed that the last verbal communication which with the plane took place after the first set of aircraft communications were disabled. There have been no reported sightings or concrete leads on the whereabouts of the jet, which vanished from radar screens shortly after it took off in Kuala Lumpur at uh, 0.40 a.m. on the morning of the 8th of March, destination Beijing. Okay, so, lots of rumors and conspiracies floating around. I thought it would be... A good idea to enlist our resident media scientist, Nelson Thal, to sift through some of these clues. Now, you may not be aware that in addition to his credentials as an assassination researcher, former archivist for the late Marshall McLuhan, Nelson is a former commercial pilot, and he also flew for the Ontario Provincial Police. Uh, Police. Nelson, thanks for taking the time. How are you? It's great to be here, Richard. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. All right. Now, I uh, I know about as much uh, about a Boeing 777 and the electronics and, and sophisticated equipment on board as I know about, I don't know, uh, surgery. Uh, <laughs> next to nothing, in other words. I, so uh, walk me through. Uh, we're hearing a lot about, you know, uh, 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 the fact that transponders uh, or the communication systems were turned off. Um, what what are we what are we talking about here? What sort of equipment was turned off? Well, it's quite interesting uh, to take a look at what uh, is available in the cockpits because they've gone to a glass cockpit, which means it's basically no longer needle ball and airspeed. Now it's all glass. It's all the monitors. And you don't have any of the old mechanical instrumentation. It's all gone electronic. And therefore, anything, and of course, as it's electronic, it's run by a computer. That's its autopilot. The autopilot is so sophisticated, it can land blind. 
you can do Cat Three C's at London in England and take what does it that right mean? to the gate. What does that you, mean? The, you, the planes fly right to the gate, gate to gate, okay. as done by the computer. All right. So, okay, so it's very sophisticated, and the, these guys become more computer operators than they do old-fashioned pilots. But when they say that only a trained person could have turned off the plane's communication equipment and flown it off course without being detected, is that true? No, turning this equipment off is not difficult if you know where the master switch is up on top of the captain right over his head. It's always in the same spot. I've flown Lear jets, military jets, little planes. There's a master switch, and if you know where it is, you can just turn it off in a second. Uh, but, 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 and, and that's, they're basically, uh, con, you know, saying that that's what's happened, that someone turned that off deliberately. Uh, would you concur with that? Well, that's what they're saying. All that's right. what they're saying about it, certainly. Whether or not that is that, we, remember this, Richard, I think, um, we should just mention, of course, we're standing on the shoulders of giants when we do and look at what's happening today. And remember Pierre Salinger and his expose of TWA 800. We brought um, – I work with Pierre uh, as an investigator, and we brought him on a, another competitor radio station, right? But That's right. Pierre Salinger shortly before his death, yes. Yeah, he, um, he never went public with anybody, but he went with us. And um, he spent a lot of time talking to us about uh, TW-800 and discovered, of course, that the official story was a lie. And um, uh, um, it got him into trouble with ABC News. And remember, Benton Parton, the admiral. Uh, a brigadier general. No, no, he's oh. chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral okay. Moore. Admiral Moore, in right. Had to take out a full-page ad in the New York Times, and he said in the ad that the government's lying, their official story's a lie. That's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Okay, so TWA 800. Uh, are, are you, so <laughs> and remember, Benton Parton joined that ad. So Benton Parton, and remember, Parton was uh, the general in charge of the non-nuclear arsenal of the United States. He investigated Oklahoma Murrah building and discovered that the he ruled out the McVeigh bomb. He said the McVeigh bomb never did this damage, and he was sent in by the FBI from the Pentagon, okay. and he signed that ad. So you had some of the top generals in the United States back in the early 90s talk about the government, that the official story is a lie, and they even went so far, Richard, let's not forget, they even went so far as to, within the ad in the New York Times, report that the National Transportation Safety Board altered and fudged the forensics. That's a heavy charge, but this is coming from the top of the Pentagon. So understand what's really been going on for a long time before this recent psyops, the Malaysian thing, hits. All right. So I want to ask you about something else, and I'm hearing, again, knowing nothing about aircraft, uh, we're hearing about you know these uh, uh, pinging, uh, pinging signals from the plane. Uh, well, we've got to remember, Richard, what is that, that we've about? got – well, we've got black ops. We know that – look, we've got asymmetric warfare, guys like Gary Best battling uh, in a spy, by for, spy versus spy world. And there's commandos on both sides, and like Gary Best was one of the American ones. And the thing is when these black op teams battle, the ordinary citizen becomes uh, collateral damage. 
that's the meaning of the Malaysian flight. That, okay, I don't, but they, I, I know we want to get there eventually. But I want to. I just I'm trying to understand what they mean by these ping signals from the plane. Okay, oh, yeah, this, the ping. Uh, the transponder usually w- when uh, uh, has a code, and that can be seen on radar. And it's very easy to turn the transponder off, and then. The air traffic controller's radar screen, which is basically not raw data, but raw data fed through a computer is then fed to the air traffic controller. If the transponder is turned off, then the computer drops that off his screen. But they're talking about these ping signals that would go directly to the engine's manufacturer. Well, there's electronic transmission locators. There are, if it crashes, there's ELTs that go off. Emergency location transmitters. Right, Right. and there's data that's fed to the satellite from the engines through a data link. All right, so... Listen, we'll, we'll take a time out. Uh, I hear the music. Yeah. We'll come back and, and uh, we'll talk about what you think may have happened to MH370. And we'll also invite some calls and uh, see if we can make some sense of this. We're not going to find the plane tonight. That's for darn sure. But, uh, my gosh, just unbelievable that something like this could just simply vanish. I mean, it's like 239 Amelia Earhart's gone. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Where on earth is MH370? Now, a compelling case has been made about the presence on the flight of 20 employees of Texas-based Freescale Semiconductor, which makes military-grade radar cloaking technology... So this could mean the plane was basically made invisible. Uh, But for what purpose? No one knows yet. Uh, But the fact that the contractors were working with several countries across Asia can only lead to the proliferation, really, of of, of more theories. uh, Have you heard about these these free-scale semiconductor employees that were um, uh, on on the plane, Nelson? Yes, of course, there were. There there were... uh a number of executives in, of working for very, very high-tech companies on board the plane, companies that were successfully marketing cloaking devices for commercial airliners. So one of the theories that's floating around there is that the Chinese government knew of their presence and they diverted the plane in order to arrest them and force them to help their Air Force develop, I guess, similar technology. What do you think of that? You know, I think that it's important to realize, Richard, that once again, we know that this is a warfare. I mean, everybody knows backstage. Richard, I want to just play, like, this is what I mean about everybody knows, if you're listening to Hollywood films. Um, I just want to play this, Richard, once, okay? All right. Nelson Fong. is a chemical weapons plant masquerading as a fertilizer plant. We know this. The Chinese know that we know. But we make believe that we don't know, and the Chinese make believe that they believe that we don't know. But know that we know. Everybody knows. <laughs> there you go. Everybody knows. Steve Seagal pointed out, and he was a Navy SEAL, everybody knows. So, like, for instance, 
The military for sure knows where this plane is. Don't kid yourself. I mean, you can't hide from the military of a number of nations. So the question is not only the mystery of where it is, but why haven't they told us where it is? Hmm. What, what are they hiding? Would you, did you say Steven Seagal? I think that was Eric Bogosian, I think. In that yeah, it was clip. Bogosian, true, yes, but right. it was Seagal's film. Ah, okay. All right. Sorry. Yeah, he was the star of it. You're right. It was Bogosian from the movie uh, Dark Territory. And, oh, okay. I was just thinking of uh, Eric from Talk Radio. Anyway, I digress. Yeah. Uh, Nelson Thal, former commercial uh, uh, airline pilot, uh, flew for the OPP, our media scientist, resident media scientist this year, as we discuss what happened to flight MH370. Okay, so well, – Rich- Richard, we've got to remember also that uh, China has basically declared an economic war on America through the stock market vehicles. They're using economic warfare. And the United States is using – Obama just signed an executive order authorizing economic warfare against the Chinese. So you've got these black ops up there, and now a week later a plane on its way to Beijing disappears. One thing's for sure, uh, it's – It's an act of war. It's not an accident. These planes don't – all the story about blaming the pilot and the machine, it's no – these are very, very safe aircraft, very, very safe. Uh, They fly hundreds and hundreds of millions of miles around the world, and they're very safe. And if something happens to it, uh, it's not an accident. Well, uh, I mean, un- un- uh, unless, as it appears to be the case, the, the pilot and perhaps the co-pilot were co-op- co-opted into this plan and they deliberately flew it off course. But uh, then the question is, you know, where does a plane like a 777 land? My understanding is it takes about a 5,000-foot runway, which sort of limits, uh, you know, the available runways in that area. Richard, I think that what we've got to recognize is the grammars of the media and that the argument about the pilots is a distraction because the thing was flown by an, a computer. It was taken away by a computer. It wasn't flown by men in the cockpit. They didn't rely on men. There probably were no men in the cockpit. Interesting. All right. This Talk to me a, more about know, this asymmetrical warfare then. Do you think then it was essentially hijacked and it, it landed somewhere safely and they now have well, – you know, you got- General Secords and the Colonel Norths and the Gary Bess and the Pentagon people doing black ops, running black operations, and you've got the other side running black operations against them. Do you think it has landed safely somewhere and they have this plane intact to do with it what they will and, and they have 239 hostages, or do you think it was blown out of the sky by a missile? Anything's possible right now. I'll tell you this, that it's, I've never, there's a lot of silence and not a lot of chatter in the intelligence, uh, the desk agents community. They've gone silent. Really? And that's, that's rather telling because? Well, obviously all the intelligence agencies are involved in this together. So nobody squeals because you can't, you, every, if you squeal, uh, then you'll be blamed as well. So you don't like the theory then that perhaps this plane was deliberately flown off course and landed in Taliban-controlled territory in western Pakistan or Afghanistan, or is that just a cover story? I think that the governments are engaging in commotion because that's what keeps control. Right now, the petrodollar wars, the wars, that's the war against the dollar. 
And this is the, what, where what this is all involved in black ops warfare within the petrodollar wars, trying to keep the American dollar as reserve currency and fiat money. This is the battle that's happening, and otherwise America will lose its standard of living. So there's a they're fighting for their currency and their way of life, and it's at, and this is part of that ongoing asymmetric warfare between these black ops. Um, people and they all have high tech equipment and um, they could shoot it down or they can steal it. I just want to go back to the uh, the, the 20 uh, employees of Texas based Freescale Semiconductor. Again, yes. they make military grade radar cloaking technology. And uh, of course, much has been made made of the fact that the plane disappeared off radar. But my understanding is that uh, you know the radar stations in that part of the world are sort of spread out and the radar it, it has to be line of sight so it's easy for a plane to you know to temporarily fall off radar these countries have always been at war over their scientists during world war ii there was a, a war over the scientists as the as the fighting on the battlefield came to an end and it continues and this is here's more battling for scientists okay so you've got 20 employees of freescale semiconductor they make yeah. military-grade radar cloaking technology. So, again, one theory is that the Chinese government knew of their presence and they diverted the plane in order to arrest them and force them to help their their air force develop technology. Then the other possibility is, let me. No, but take, they were going to a subsidiary a company, so they go back and forth all the time. So they're scheduled. So everybody knows when they're going to be on there. Well, plus they were flying to Beijing. Why wouldn't they just wait till they arrived in Beijing? But the other thing is, what if some agency within the United States got wind that the Chinese were looking to take these uh, employees of free scale under their control, and rather than risk the technology falling into Chinese hands, they destroyed the plane? I wouldn't rule it out. And not only that, there's evidence that probably that's why they put out the the uh, they got the search teams going in all different directions and confused purposely so that they could sanitize and clean up the area where it actually crashed. As we said, Admiral Moore said these guys alter forensics. And of course, um, they did that here in Toronto when Jeb Bush was here. They, they, uh, they an FBI plane crashed and. The Toronto police didn't investigate until after the area had been sanitized <laughs> by underwater submarines to the lake. Oh, that was the aircraft that uh, that uh, crashed in uh, Lake Ontario. Uh, right. Yes. Which yes. we reported. Well, a hundred a mile off the off the Toronto Island Airport, the morning Jeb Bush came to town. Well, uh, you're <laughs> connecting dots there. Uh, we have to be careful, I suppose, about that. But um, and I remember that conversation we had in which you connected the dots: the arrival of Jeb Bush and the uh, the, uh, the and crash the of that airplane. Crashed that morning, and, a, a and of course, Skolnick discovered that it came out of. It came out of an FBI airport in Chicago, and uh, that was the bagman. They were doing the deal to try and get the weapons of mass destruction, and they did. The bagman was to arrive here to do the deal, and because the guy was headed off and cr- the plane crashed south of the airport, they didn't get the weapons of mass destruction to Iraq. The deal was done here, and it failed. Uh, you mentioned uh, Skolnick. You mean uh, Sherman Skolnick? Sherman Skolnick reported that. Yeah. Uh, investigator and uh, researcher. Now, uh, and, and Sherman, did he not write a book about the use of airline crashes as a weapon of yeah, political they, assassination? He wrote, 
He wrote the three-part series on the history of American air, uh, political airplane sabotage. And, and, and just give me a sense of, of what he was talking about in that book. Or in that in that series of articles, he was he came for, he first learned of it because he was in Chicago uh, for the, um, the murder of Dorothy Hunt, and um, Dorothy Hunt, E. Howard Hunt's wife, fled with important documents uh, to Chicago from Washington, and um, her plane they crashed her plane and made sure and the firemen kept the. The police kept the firemen from going to the plane and kept them back. This was during the Nixon administration. They wanted everything to burn up. They wanted all the. Uh, she. They wanted her dead. This had uh, the papers that she had with her had something to do with the Nixon administration or Watergate or something. Well, it had to do with the Mary Fairy Terry, all the other uh, Doctor Oshler, and the connection between the cancer and the polio vaccine work that was done ah, by okay. Mary Sherman at the University of Chicago. She worked with David Ferry and Dr. Oshner, head of the American Cancer Institute, along with Lee Harvey Oswald. Right, right. That's a fascinating chapter. So there was some great, great uh, connections there. And, of course, she was murdered as well, Mary Sherman. Uh, so, again, the use of, uh, uh, of airplane crashes uh, for political assassinations, uh, well-documented. But I, I don't know. I, I don't get the – it sounds like – this plane was diverted and landed someplace. I, I mean, I think it's safely on the ground. That's my sense of it. What do you think? Yeah, I really think that that uh, it's it's been commandeered and it's they've uh, they, they wanted to show their how powerful they were that they could take one of their planes away from them any time they wanted, and um, I think that's what they did. And now they're trying to cover up that somebody was able to. Through a back door, take control of our planes. Now, when you say they, uh, do you mean the Chinese? No, I'd say, I, I don't think it was the, was the Chinese I, I, uh, that would have done that. It would have been uh, the UN. The UN? Yeah, the UN troops. Explain that one. Interpol. UN and Interpol. Well, let's not forget that the, the Waffen-SS General Waldheim Seize the United Nations. That's public document. Right. That's right. well known. Okay, so, so we're he, getting into the back into the so sort of the Nazi Internationale again. Yeah, I think that remember Pierre Salinger looked said, look, May Brussels had the had the JFK assassination the best, the Nazi connection. Salinger pointed to Brussels, and of course May and Sherman and Penn Jones got Garrison to go back into the case in '66. And they'd lay the charge against uh, Clay Shaw in 69 and go to court. And most of all, his witnesses were either died or they were forbidden from traveling outside California by Reagan. <laughs> well, uh, right? uh, uh, when we talk about the Nazi International and the rise of the Fourth Reich, uh, yeah. which seems to be what you're alluding to here. I mean, I've talked to Jim Mars and, and Joseph Farrell at length about, about the rise of the, of the Fourth Reich. This Hitler's Waffen, uh, Hitler's general, Walter Dornberger, who was von Braun's boss at Pienemunde, he was sentenced to hang at Nuremberg. And the Americans grabbed them and made them vice president of Bell Helicopters. And they made a lot of money off the Vietnam War. 
Right, and, and yes, you've talked to me in detail about the the Nazi connection with the, JFK the, assassination. Yes. The, J, the heavy connection to the Nazis and JFK is that uh, the lady and the family that safe housed Oswald, the Payne family, Michael Payne worked for Dornberger, was his right hand man at Bell Helicopters. So the connection there was was I mean that was how they did it. All right, there you have it, folks. Uh, Nelson Thal stays with us, and we'll open up the phone line. And it's not uh, our opinion, Rich. It's it's documented fact. You know, it's not it's it's not a matter of debatable interpretation. All right, let me get into a break here. We'll come back. Nelson Thal, media scientist, commercial airline pilot, talking about missing flight MH370. We'll make the phone lines available to you. We'd like to hear your theories, and uh, we'll continue. In this vein, till the top of the hour, when we'll dim the lights and say good night, good morning. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now, 416-360-0740. Welcome back. Media scientist Nelson Thal with us as we discuss where is flight MH370 and the 239 passengers and crew. And Nelson, a, uh, a former commercial airline pilot, uh, assassination researcher, believes that the plane has been commandeered and has implicated uh, some sort of Nazi international or uh, a Fourth Reich type group, uh, which is, I guess, battling behind the scenes. Uh, he calls this asymmetrical warfare. So, Nelson, essentially, uh, they've done this to show, to flex their muscle and to show uh, that they can do this whenever they want. Uh, so, so why aren't they taking credit for it? Uh, well, I mean, because they don't – the whole purpose is, look, commotion, if you create commotion, it, you support the dollar. Because you cause people to flee to your currency, the reserve ratio currency. So they create commotion is in order to keep the, the dollar, the petrodollar and the, the dollar going as a currency. Did you see what I'm saying, Richard? Commotion. Uh, right. By creating commotion, the, the battle over is over the dollar. They, they've got to support the dollar. They have to support the dollar. And what supports the dollar, right, because they've gone around bombing innocent and murdering, they, because they've been doing so much murdering, uh, nobody wants to take their currency anymore. They want to give it up. And he, they're going around the world threatening people to keep their currency. That's what happened in Iraq. That's what happened, that's what happened in Afghanistan. To prevent the, make sure the Arabs continue to to remember, to, Richard, to buy for any country other than America to buy oil, she's got to buy U.S. dollars. America's the middleman on the deal. Right, right. But you're not implicating the United States government in this. You're saying some rogue Nazi international group. I'm saying it's the U.S. government's banking entity, the U.S. government, the Treasury, the U.S. government. But, sure it is. It's the, that's what Benton Parton said it was the U.S. government. Okay, the, so then the I'm confused because you now. mentioned the Nazi International, uh, or I mentioned the Nazi International, but you mentioned the Nazis. So I'm uh, straight well, I said the me. Nazi connection to the JFK assassination was ah. the article by May Brussel. Okay. 
And, but what's, it's, it's not like there's a Nazi party anymore, but what there is is there's a new organization, a commando group of Nazis, uh, that, that, that are, that are, have power and have corporations and cartels. These guys cor- control cartels, not just corporate, not just large corporations. All right. Uh, we have a and caller Dave on, Emery. sorry? Richard, Dave Emery's work, people should go to and look at Dave Emery's work. He carries on May Brussels' work as well. So we're all researchers and there's a lot of other good stuff people who we, uh, you can uh, latch on to, like, especially like Emery as well. And of course you, Richard, you're doing just a fantastic job. I mean, um, exposing the, the backstage door. Well, I'm playing catch up. I'm just trying to, uh, you know, to make, uh, to make sense of it. And, and, uh, I thank you for, uh, you know, helping and abetting in that, uh, goal as well. So listen, let's uh, grab a call here. And Dan is on the line uh, from California, I believe. Dan, are you there? Yes, sir. How are you doing, Richard? I'm well, thank you. Now, Dan, I understand that you work in, can I say this, the disaster and emergency management industry? That is correct, yeah. I'm uh, working on my uh, uh, master's in uh, in that field. And uh, we've done a lot of study and research into the psychology and the development of the terrorist and their mindset. And okay, so what do you think is going on with this um, Boeing 777? Our indications are, at least with the group of people that we discuss and look into, um, the terrorist groups are seriously trying to find a way to get the biggest bang for their buck to, quote-unquote, destroy Satan. Um, And the U.S., as far as they're concerned, is Satan. The U.S. dollar is Satan. And what they have done, in effect, by stealing a Boeing 777, if they take it and land it in one of the areas out in the desert someplace, because you don't need a runway runway, you can land that thing in a nice flat spot that's a mile long in the middle of the desert if that's what you wanted to do, and then take it into some hangar and park it. But the 777, if you look at it, it has an operational range of almost 12,000 nautical miles. Is that right? It has the, it has the, I don't want to say it, the history behind it showing that it is the largest and longest cargo carrier of any aircraft uh, that's commercially available. What is the the payload capability on the 777? It's over 100 tons. Uh, To be exact, it's it's 103.9 ton capability, carrying capability, that can travel over 11,000 miles and fly in excess of 50,000 feet. Um, okay, well, the so, music's coming up. Dan, I'll, I'll hold on to you. Uh, we'll carry this conversation on the other side. Dan from California checking in with um, in uh, disaster and emergency management and beginning to uh, reveal his theory as to what has happened to Flight 370. Uh, but uh, I, I need to know, okay, so we've got the, the, uh, the flight capability, nearly 12,000 nautical miles, and we know the payload, 103.9 tons, I think you said, but... If it's fully loaded, I would think that that would severely curtail the uh, 
the, the flight capability. Anyway, we'll, we'll get back into this. On the other side, Nelson Thal, media scientist, commercial airline pilot, and uh, Dan from California, disaster and emergency management uh, insider. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Where is Flight MH370? Dan is on the line, uh, Disaster and Emergency Management uh, Industry Insider, and you're sort of giving us the, lo- the logistical facts about the uh, Boeing 777. And you were saying it has... Uh, so I'm guessing where you're going with this is that you, you uh, believe that, uh, that, the, that the plane was commandeered, uh, I'm guessing. Um, but let me go through some of these uh, figures here. So not, uh, the range here is about 12,000 nautical miles. Payload capacity, 103, 100, almost 104 tons. Uh, so fully loaded then, what would be the range of this plane? Well, depending on if you're talking about full weight, you're looking between nine and 10,000 miles according to the statistics off of the Boeing website itself. Okay. All right, so, so. that way, fully fueled and, and fully loaded, you're looking at somewhere around 9,000 nautical miles. Now, one of the things that we're most concerned about is that we have now got, or the terrorist group or whatever group, now has what they call a strategic bomber. And that bomber has the capability of two things. One is it has enough altitude capabilities to be able to set off a small nuclear device about the size of what went off in Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And if that device went off at five miles or six miles above the Earth, above the continental United States, it would immediately, and within like 15 seconds, turn three-quarters to 100% of the nation back into the buggy and horse days. So you're talking about an EMP weapon to knock out the, the power grid? Correct. Uh, not only the power grid, but all of the communications equipment, civilian communications, broadcasting towers, um, all of your refrigerators and refrigeration, all of the systems used to supply food and water supplies, uh, the utility companies, um, all of that. We would go, realistically, we would be in within 15 seconds, turn back to the uh, horse and buggy days. Richard, I have a question for him. Yes, Nelson. If that's the case, why would they go to the bother of stealing a plane? Why wouldn't they just stick it on a drone? Obviously, a drone could do that job without having to, the bother of kidnapping a plane. Absolutely. I agree with you, and that is one of the things we have discussed. Now, if they don't have their hands and they haven't been able to get a hold of a, an actual thermonuclear device, okay, like Korea gave it, gave it to them or, or one of the other countries like Iran, that type of thing. Think about it. A hundred tons. If you fill that with what they call dirty waste, nuclear waste, you could fly that over the continental United States, over New York, Washington, D.C., or whatever. And if you detonated or exploded that aircraft, you wouldn't want to drive it into the ground. You'd want to blow it up in the air so you got the most amount of particulate spread over the largest area with that dirty waste, you could effectively make the entire New York City or, let's say, for example, you know, Alberta or some other country's main city completely uninhabitable. 
for a hundred years or more, I'm guessing. Or more. Absolutely. What about the Yellowstone caldera? Why not just sneak a bomb in there and let that go, and that'll wipe it out for sure? Do you think they can do that or have done it yet? I'm, I um, I think that what's going on, according to what we see, is an increase in sophistication. But I, again, and boy, I'm going to get in trouble here, I am not so sure that I do not agree with you in in some of these cases. I believe personally, and so do a large number of members of the group that we study and we work with and run these scenarios with, we feel that there is a, uh, how do I want to say it, a hidden agenda in the U.S. government that is helping to fund and or control um, a lot of these terrorist groups and therefore are supplying them with the technical information of how to circumvent our radars, how to be able to get certain things in, um, what the total amount of damage that could be uh, inflicted on us in that type of area. I think that they're being funneled that information. Now, that's, well, that's exactly what we have said here. If and we, it, that... Yeah, we, Richard, we've we've said that here many times. Exactly that we talked about uh, during the Khomeini years, how uh, they ran the uh, the hostage ran hostage thing right from down the street from the at the ONI building on the Pennsylvania Avenue, just down the street from the White House. So, the, yeah, I, we've I gone through that, that for sure. It's not like we haven't um, exposed it. Well, there's a whole long list of uh, America's false flags that they've managed to pull off. And I'm not so sure that this is not one of those things. Um, this was a pretty sophisticated or, uh, operation that they had pulled off here. And I really believe in my heart of hearts that we are, if they don't find this plane and they don't destroy this thing, it somewhere along the line, two years down the road, three years down the road, whatever, it's going to come sneaking back, camouflage in a civilian aircraft, and it's going to go off over some major city. That is uh, a pretty frightening scenario. Now, if you've got a 777 and cruising at, uh, I don't know, 42,000 feet, crossing the Atlantic en route to the United States, loaded with dirty nuclear material or a device of some sort, I mean, isn't that a pretty easy target? Well, only if you know about it. Um, you know, we've had uh, smugglers have been doing this for years. This is part of what we study is uh, how terrorists or different organizations like the cartels out of Mexico um, and the ones in Colombia, things like this, how they can disguise and or swap out equipment to camouflage their aircraft and to trade places with it. So, therefore, when it comes across or when it comes into certain people's airspaces that they think is legit. Well, that brings us back to the uh, the the, uh, the employees from the um, the Texas-based company that, that that builds radar cloaking devices. Do you think that figures into this at all? It depends on how much money and who's handling it in the U.S. government. It, it, that was the that Operation Pearl, which was written by the university professor in London, Richard. He, of course, had a situation where he described on 9/11 where there was a handoff where one plane kept its transponder off, came on to another, came up to the other, started flying underneath it. One turns their transponder on, the other off at the same time, and they go their merry way and they make a swap. 
That's what he's talking about. And that's what the key Dudney, Professor Dudney, had that in his Operation Pearl. Remember that? Right, right. Yes, I did. Well, yeah, you, you're right on the money. And that's why I, our group, um, and we've studied this uh, quite extensively, that this is all doable. We're not talking about pie in the sky. We're talking about truly doable stuff. And uh, so it's just a matter of if it can stop them before it happens or if it's going to be allowed to happen, sort of like 911 was. Right, right. Look the other Lie way on. and let it happen or make it happen. So whether we're talking about a terrorist group or a legitimate terrorist group, and I don't even know if such a thing exists anymore when I say legitimate, uh, or whether we're talking uh, or whether we're talking about a false flag uh, operation, uh yeah, a very frightening scenario that they would at some point in the future, possibly, you know, once we've all sort of forgotten about flight MH370, now they have uh, a transport plane that can fly 12,000 nautical miles, uh, thereabouts, carry 229,000 pound payload, uh, essentially a flying bomb. Absolutely. Uh, now, if this thing... Down, yeah, and take down the entire U.S. economy completely. Wipe us off the map as far as economics go. Now, tell me a little bit about disaster and emergency management uh, and your uh, what is it you actually do again? Well, what, what we're studying and what we're going through is the psychology of the actual terrorists. What are their targets? What do they do? Um, you know, we've studied uh, the different targets and, and what the Germans did, for example, uh, and before World War II with, with the sinking of, of some of the ships that brought on the entire uh, globe, so to speak, um, being so very much upset at them. Um, the same thing with the London City bombings, okay? That went global, the shock and terror. Not many people, not a large number of people died, but... It absolutely went global that this could happen to anybody. Imagine what this would do if you took out, if they didn't use the EMP. Let's say they don't have the nuclear device, but they've got the dirty stuff. Um, and to back a little bit of that up is that the nuclear supply systems that Russia has been doing, dismantling their weapon systems, that type of thing, there are places in Russia where they've been stockpiling or throwing this dirty trash, so to speak. And it is well known that those areas have been raided and there are that dirty material is coming up missing. So if you put that together with the aircraft and deliver that to a city, what would that do to Hong Kong? What would it do to Amsterdam? What would it do to London? Uh, if we all of a sudden looked up one day and New York City is no longer inhabitable, uh, let's that, say that, of course, assumes that uh, you're, you're talking about the explosion, exploding t uh, radioactive material with TNT. Yeah, right. Basically, it would be TNT or some other type of plastic explosive or something. I mean, you know, two pilots willing to die for their cause blowing up an airplane in the sky isn't much different than two guys on the ground running into the subway system in London and blowing up a bunch of people. And if they were to, to land this thing uh, in, in, I don't know, Pakistan, would they be able to reach virtually any major city on Earth, given the, given yeah, the uh, 
capability? Yeah, it depends on what you want. It would be easy to ferry that aircraft to someplace else if they wanted, depending on their target. But go ahead, lay a map out and put your compass on it and draw yourself a, you know, a 12,000-mile circle radius of just any place in the Pakistani area and see what you come across. Uh, Dan, well, uh, thank you for uh, for calling in. Uh, part of me wishes you hadn't <laughs> planted that seed because that is uh, a frightening scenario that you've painted, and it makes sense on so many different levels. Um, but I, uh, I think, I think you're onto something, my friend. Richard, well, one thing and, I wanted to say um, here real quick is that this issue about this, let's say, for example, the EMP, Okay, and you can validate what I'm saying, and you can check it out. But if they take this, if they take it up to 10 miles, that's 50,000, 50 some thousand feet, and they blow up a one megaton nuclear device or a 500 kiloton nuclear device, most of Canada will get it. Most of, or not all of, the U.S. will get it, and a large portion of Mexico will get it. And I get it, and I thank you. Dan in California. Appreciate it. Nelson Thal, media scientist, commercial airline pilot. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Great stuff. All right. My thanks to Tim Spreen for production. Back next week, we'll talk about the pyramids in Bosnia. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite, and come at home. Good night. Good night.